From the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network studios in Des Moines, this is Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Riley Smith. In today's show, Mark wraps up his talk on pork sustainability with National Pork Board Chief Sustainability Officer Jamie Burr. Dustin discusses sustainable aviation fuel with Iowa Renewable Fuels Association Executive Director Monty Shaw. And Andy brings us a snippet of the latest episode of Pods of Potential. Now, here are your hosts for today, Mark Magnuson and Andy Peterson. Iowa Ag Matters, and you know what, Andy? It's a day today where we're going to be all over the place covering a lot of different events, and fortunately, um, the weather is cooperating, but there's still some slick spots out there wherever you're traveling because of some melting snow, which is a good thing, I guess, but it does create those slick spots. But again, it is a busy day here today, so we'll have to be minding our P's and Q's as we're driving all over the state. Yeah, certainly your authentic, official, and trusted voice of Iowa agriculture coming through here in coverage of all that's going on. Agriculture, and it's interesting you mentioned the uh, melting snow. I was thinking on the uh, way over, and I'm headed to the Iowa Soybean Association uh, Farm Forward event here in a little bit. Mark and I will actually be there together. Uh, it'll it'll be the whole um, Iowa Ag Matters hosting crew for Iowa Soy today, which will be kind of fun. But anyway, I was thinking on the way over, Mark, as I see them continuing to pull out some of the uh, stranded vehicles from the median on Interstate 80. Holy cow, the snow's going to be melted before they get them all pulled out. <laughs> Isn't that hard to believe? And it, and when you saw them buried in there just a couple of weeks ago, you were thinking that would be there for a while, and that snow would too. Yeah, no doubt about that. So busy day today too. Monty Shaw drops by. We're going to talk sustainable aviation fuel. I've got uh, a snippet of our pods of potential conversation on edge of field practices and sustainability. Let's start off with market analysis. Here's Mark sitting down with Joe Camp from Comstock to discuss the grain trade. Joined today by Joe Camp of Comstock for our opening market discussion. Joe, what are we seeing taking place in the grains? Well, still a lot of focus on South America. And of course, particularly Brazil has been top of mind as of late. They suffered major drought at the start of the season. Here about a month ago, starting to receive some showers, but now getting into the thick of the soybean harvest and uh, seeing that first crop uh, corn is also moving along. Eventually, we're going to have a lot of stock on how the second safrina crop looks. But, you know, improved conditions as of late, still some reckoning, if you will, in terms of the estimates. That'll be a subject for next week, our February crop report coming up to be uh, very much one that has special attention paid to the South American estimates. But it's not just Brazil. Argentina has been in the mix here uh, more and more lately. Early last week, it was a a friendly influence for the market and still uh, can be observed as a a source of support for meal, which is up overnight here, uh, where we see some drier, hotter conditions prevailing across Argentina. Uh, They do have some rain in the mix for maybe 10 to 14 days out, but that's subject to change, too, when you start to uh, look that far ahead. Ultimately, it's a really crucial period of production for Argentina right now, whereas Brazil is getting into their harvest, uh, Argentina further south from the equator, they're not going to be until, you know, maybe mid to late March where harvest really picks up. And so, you know, that would be something that's akin to maybe the Midwest August type time frame for 
uh, these corn and soybean crops down there. So we're watching that weather storyline really closely for South America. Also, Argentina in the news, though, a negative for wheat that it was announced that China has approved uh, wheat imports from that country. So something that could potentially be a further source of lost market share for U.S. exporters. Joe, is it still the case that Argentina looking at a gangbusters crop and just an overall great year? Generally, yeah, certainly compared to last year, we're looking at corn and soybean production levels that are as much as double uh, what they achieved last year because of the severe drought. So, uh, you know, the question is, though, whether or not we've priced in this favorable rebound for conditions in Argentina and if there could still possibly be now a reverse in terms of just taking the top end off. Thank you to Joe Camp of Comstock for our grains discussion. We'll have more on the livestock coming up, but it is time now for the three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Not surprisingly, a new farm bill is at the top of the priority list for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, according to CEO Ted McKinney. The primary piece of legislation that supports farmers and ranchers, supports those who need nutrition, but also brings along a lot of the structure for how industry is regulated. So, of course, we're going to be very involved because we are co-regulators in our state. Most people think that EPA, FDA, USDA are the regulators, and they are. But most people don't know that a lot, I dare say most of the regulations that are instituted by Congress and then shaped by those agencies, it's all handed off to state departments of ag. So we take a great deal of interest in shaping those properly because we say with pride, we're the closest to that farmer, that rancher, that processor. So you bet we're going to be involved in any number of areas. He says they're still holding out hope that the farm bill will get done this year. Number two. Continuing to build on key priorities for Iowa agriculture is Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Neg, who highlighted those priorities during testimony to the Iowa House Agriculture and Natural Resources Budget Subcommittee, which helps to craft the budget, the funds operations, and many of the programs under the purview of the Department of Ag and Land Stewardship. Now he calls the budget proposal, quote, fiscally responsible, respects the taxpayers of the state and allows us to focus on priorities and adds that his testimony reflected several ag necessities. Number one. Getting started in becoming more sustainable is key and simple, according to Iowa Soybean Association Environmental Leader Award winner Jim O'Connell. The things that we want to have done and, and for our kids, because the worst thing you want is regulations, you know, and, and someone coming out and telling you, you know, well, you can only put this much nitrogen on or this must, but that's where we're headed. If we don't start cleaning this water up, that's coming. And I think we need to really work at getting more of these practices in and cleaning up some of the water. Cause you know, we want to drink clean water too. We live right here. It literally impacts everybody and is very simple. If you'd like to learn more, it's the latest pods of potential podcast from our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association available on your favorite podcast service or at iowaagnet.com. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. A new year brings new opportunities for Iowa soybean farmers. From biofuels and policy to a changing market landscape, many factors impact the value of Iowa soybean crop. Learn about these trends and more on January 30th by attending Farm Forward, powered by the Iowa Soybean Association. Register today at iasoybeans.com 
and position your farm for success in 2024 and beyond. The Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Going to be joined again today by Jamie Burr of the National Pork Board. He is, of course, in charge of their sustainability efforts, and we're going to learn all about those as we continue the conversation here on Iowa Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Continuing the conversation with Jamie Burr here is Mark Magnuson on a sustainability or enhanced, I guess, sustainability uh, effort on the part of our friends at the National Pork Board. The We Care Ethical Principles, of course, uh, have been in place out uh, on farms for quite a while, a long time. However, telling the story is always important, and that's certainly a key component to uh, Jamie's everyday responsibilities as he continues visiting now with Mark Magnuson. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. We are here at the Iowa Pork Congress 2024, and I'm with Jamie Burr with the National Pork Board. And Jamie, could you tell us, please, your role within the National Pork Board? Yes, Mark, thank you. So my role is the Chief Sustainability Officer, and it's really um, about how do we take the programs that Checkoff has invested in around sustainability, our we care ethical principles, animal welfare, our communities, people, environment, food safety, uh, and then public health. And all of those programs that under that We Care umbrella that tells the story of how we have progressed over time and how we have set goals and develop metrics and keep all those records so that we can then tell producers' story across the United States. Now, from the producer side, I would see a question come up of, hey, is this something that we always are going to have to implement a new practice, a new process, something like that? How do you, um, I guess, deal with those types of concerns from the producer side? Good question, Mark. I would say that more than anything, it's the producer's choice and what they have the ability to go do and where they're willing to commit their time because time is of the most important asset they have. And I I think it's where they want to go and and have the ability to go to that next step. But let's not forget the the journey that we've been on. And if you look at the six decades of progress where the checkoff has funded that that look back, if you will, where we've reduced land by 75 percent, water by 25 percent, the amount of energy we use by 8 percent and then carbon by 7 percent per pound of pork. We have made tremendous progress, and this just gives a producer an option to take yet another step along that journey. So, Jamie, you are the first person in this position with the National Pork Board in charge of sustainability. How have you found this role since taking over, and what has it been like to try and bring everything kind of under one umbrella? So one thing I'll say is producers have always been. Just All I have to do is point towards what I just said about the six six decades of progress. I would be remiss to not be able to just say it is a tough time right now market is tough but you know what we still have producers that have been involved we this past year for instance we had more than 50 percent of the producers that had uh, on farm report in 21 sign up for 2022 so i think that is a a story of progress and and a good one as well because it has been tough and we've just tried to be mindful of that because this program is about the long game it is something that's their kids time frame that as we continue to build and to improve along that journey. That's what this is about is the long game. And Jamie, I know you also just got back from a trip. You were in the Middle East. Could you tell us where you were and what the event was, please? Yeah, so I I was in Dubai at uh, the Conference of Parties. And the Conference of Parties is 
the, all the countries around the world come together to develop policy. And this was the 28th COP, so 28 years. And this is the first year that food and ag has been the focal point or the center point of this particular COP. And what we were able to do is to, with our partners, showcase how efficient pork producers have been along the journey. And that we, we are we do have the ability to provide a safe, nutritious protein and be at the table to show that we have the ability to reduce carbon. We are a a solution to carbon reduction in the United States. Jamie Burr with the National Pork Board. Thanks so much for the time here. Thank you very much, Mark. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2024 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast as winter weather can change in the blink of an eye and vary greatly between regions. And be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. You can always check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone or downloading the 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Thank you to Jamie Burr of the National Pork Board. Always learning a lot from the folks at the National Pork Board, and that was no exception last week. Coming up next, it is time for the cash prices from around the state with the basis report next on Iowa Ag Matters. Time to run down some of those elevator prices here on Iowa Ag Matters for this Tuesday, January the 30th. I'm Dustin Huffman. Of course, we are seeing a little bit of an increase here in the corn asking prices today. We'll take a look at what is going on here across the state. Starting at 8 a.m. Burlington, they're 15 cents under on corn at 421. Soybeans, 19 cents under. They're at 1172. At Cargill and Eddyville, they're even today on their corn bid. That cashable price is 436. New Co-op Algona, a dime under on corn, 426. Soybeans, 55 cents under at 1136. Ag State Sheldon, a dime over on corn, 446. Soybeans, 72 cents under at 1119. Ag State Elta, a dime under on corn, they're at 426. Soybeans, 62 cents under, their cash bid, 1129. At Cargill Cedar Rapids, they're a dime over on corn, 446. Soybeans, a dime under, they're at 1181. Nexus Co-op in Marble Rock, they're eight cents under on corn at four twenty-eight. Soybeans fifty-nine cents under at eleven thirty-two. Lincoln Way Ethanol Nevada, a nickel over on corn today, cash bid four forty-one. ADM Des Moines, four cents under on soybeans, their cash bid eleven eighty-seven. At New Co-op in Red Oak, they're a dime under on corn, they're at four twenty-six. Soybeans fifty cents under at eleven forty-one. Mid-Iowa Cooperative Green Mountain, 22 cents under on corn, cash bid 414. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1141. New Co-op Sheraton, 20 cents under on corn at 416. Soybeans, 55 cents under, cash bid 1136. Walk-On Feed Ranch, 17 cents under on corn, 419. Soybeans, 56 cents under at 1135. New Co-op Glidden, a dime under on corn. They're at 426 for their cash bid. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1141. And Innovative Ag Services Farley, also a dime under on corn at 426. Soybeans, 50 cents under, cash bid 1141. Cargill Muscatine closed for the season. They'll reopen April 1st. The office remains open for business. Cash corn and soybean bids are subject to change without notice. Always check with your local elevator when making sales to obtain the most recent price. And that's been a check at some of your elevator bids here on Iowa Ag Matters. We'll be right back. A new year brings new opportunities for Iowa soybean farmers. From biofuels and policy to a changing market landscape, many factors impact the value of Iowa soybean crop. Learn about these trends and more on January 30th by attending Farm Forward, 
powered by the Iowa Soybean Association. Register today at IASoybeans.com and position your farm for success in 2024 and beyond. The Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. More market information still to come here, including a complete rundown of the midday numbers. They'll have that for you come up. Grain and livestock analysis. Also, don't forget about the free podcast from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network Market Analysis. We'll have more Iowa Ag Matters coming right up. It is time now here on Iowa Ag Matters for our latest preview of the latest episode of Pods of Potential. And it is Andy Peterson joined by Chris Hay, Dr. Chris Hay, as they discuss all about edge of field practices. Always something new to learn in that area. Getting started can be the scariest part, perhaps the hardest part, and yet the most important part in a lot of cases. And it's made simple and easy for you. By our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association, where Dr. Chris Hay says in regard to edge of field practices and sustainability, bioreactors, saturated buffers, that sort of thing, there are a few simple criteria to be met. You know, a couple things we, we're looking for. Um, ideally, we'd like to have the field a little higher in elevation than the buffer because uh, once we put that control structure in, we don't want water backing up into the field and, and affecting the drainage in the field. And so uh, when we got that elevation district uh, um uh, elevation difference, then, you know, we don't have that danger. And so uh, we still allow for bypass and high flows. Uh, so we're not infecting drainage in the field, but then, uh, uh, you know, we can get that water into the buffer. In the buffer, what we want, again, is we want perennial vegetation, uh, something that's always growing there. Uh, we need a certain amount of organic matter in the soil. And then we want stable uh, banks on the stream or the ditch, wherever that, that water is going to eventually make its way to so that we're not causing any issues that way. Well, what kind of a commitment are we talking about here as far as lifespan goes, um, farming around it, uh, that type of thing? Lifespan right now, NRCS gives it a practice life of 15 years, but we really don't know. It, it's a fairly new practice. Um, really, it's going to last as long as, as the control structure lasts, and, and that's probably going to be multiple decades. Um, again, if we've got an ideal site where we've got that elevation difference between the field and the buffer, uh, there's really not a whole lot of maintenance. You know, really just occasionally checking the control structure to make sure that, that uh, it's working, that nothing is, is damaged there. And then, you know, kind of normal maintenance of the buffer. So that may be some mowing or other, you know, spraying to, to deal with invasive species. But but otherwise, it's pretty minimal maintenance. And, and the nice thing is it really doesn't affect what you're doing in the field. So it doesn't affect your normal field operations at all. Yeah, you make a good point there about being still pretty early on uh, in in the process, uh, sort of on the cutting edge, which is where Jim uh, typically spends a lot of his time on the, the farming operation side of things. So we sort of talked about getting involved in conservation, Jim, but how did you make the step to a uh, or the leap, if you will, to a, a saturated buffer? Well, we have a couple fields right down by our creek. They're actually another field that it that butts up to ours. There's a lot of water that comes down through there and actually gets all the way up to Ellis Road and highly traveled road. And there's really not a whole lot of what we can do. It just worked out good for me. We have a pasture down there. And so we could put it in the pasture. It doesn't disrupt anything. I just got to make sure the cattle aren't messing with that structure. Um, but they have a nice pipe now and uh, oh, a cage around it that I, we're not going to have to worry about anything. I think it's going to work really, really well. What other benefits have you seen so far? 
Well, we've taken, uh, Evan has taken some samples, one of them from our wetland. I don't know if he's taken anything from the uh, saturated buffer. We just got those in this fall. And of course, you know, we're in a drought, so it's kind of hard to get samples out of stuff right now. But <laughs> with the, the only basis I'm going by is with the wetland that we've reduced nitrates tremendously, which even in the first year. So the wetland is dry now, but, you know, when it was full of water after we got it in and, and we took samples right away and then later in the year, it had dropped drastically um, from the first poll to the second one. You can find more details in the latest Pods of Potential podcast on your favorite podcasting service or available at iowaagnet.com. I'm Andy Peterson on Iowa Ag Matters. Thank you, Andy, for that preview of Pods of Potential, which, of course, you can find anytime on our website under the podcast tab at iowaagnet.com. And, Andy, don't go too far as it's time now for the three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Not surprisingly, a new farm bill is at the top of the priority list for the National Association of State Departments of Agriculture, according to CEO Ted McKinney. The primary piece of legislation that supports farmers and ranchers, supports those who need nutrition, but also brings along a lot of the structure for how industry is regulated. So, of course, we're going to be very involved because we are co-regulators in our state. Most people think that EPA, FDA, USDA are the regulators, and they are. But most people don't know that a lot, I dare say most of the regulations that are instituted by Congress and then shaped by those agencies, it's all handed off to state departments of ag. So we take a great deal of interest in shaping those properly because we say with pride, we're the closest to that farmer, that rancher, that processor. So you bet we're going to be involved in any number of areas. He says they're still holding out hope that the farm bill will get done this year. Number two. Continuing to build on key priorities for Iowa agriculture is Iowa Secretary of Agriculture Mike Neck, who highlighted those priorities during testimony to the Iowa House Agriculture and Natural Resources Budget Subcommittee, which helps to craft the budget, the funds operations, and many of the programs under the purview of the Department of Ag and Land Stewardship. Now he calls the budget proposal, quote, fiscally responsible, respects the taxpayers of the state and allows us to focus on priorities, and adds that his testimony reflected several ag necessities. Number one. Getting started in becoming more sustainable is key and simple, according to Iowa Soybean Association Environmental Leader Award winner Jim O'Connell. The things that we want to have done and, and for our kids, because the worst thing you want is regulations, you know, and someone coming out and telling you, you know, well, you can only put this much nitrogen on or this must be, but that's where we're headed. If we don't start cleaning this water up, that's coming. And I think we need to really work at getting more of these practices in and cleaning up some of the water. You know, we want to drink clean water too. We live right here. It literally impacts everybody and is very simple. If you'd like to learn more, it's the latest Pods of Potential podcast from our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association, available on your favorite podcast service or at iowaagnet.com. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. A new year brings new opportunities for Iowa soybean farmers. From biofuels and policy to a changing market landscape, many factors impact the value of Iowa soybean crop. Learn about these trends and more on January 30th by attending Farm Forward, powered by the Iowa Soybean Association. 
Register today at IASoybeans.com and position your farm for success in 2024 and beyond. The Iowa Soybean Association, driven to deliver for Iowa's 40,000 soybean farmers. Iowa Ag Matters on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. And coming up in just a little bit, Riley Smith and I will have the latest middays numbers for you as we get that midday update on the markets here on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. And remember, you can find that market information anytime under our market tab on our website at iowaagnet.com. This is the Midday Market Update on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. Joined today by John Heinberg of Total Farm Marketing for our midday discussion. John, what are we seeing taking place in the grains? We've got a little bit of buying strength coming into the grain markets today, led by the soybean market and maybe the wheat market here. So that's kind of spilling over, giving corn a little boost too. So we're seeing some decent gains uh, overall. Maybe it's just some short covering here at the bottom of this, uh, you know, this most recent sell-off. Uh, again, we'll have to see how prices kind of finish out the today as well as the rest of the week. First off, you know, on that soybean side, watch. Watching that Argentina weather and keeping it things on the hotter side, even though there's some forecasts coming in for some moisture at the start of February here. Uh, but it's enough maybe to get that soybean meal market moving today. It's trading nicely higher, and that's helping lift the soybean prices overall. Again, wheat hit some technical support today, so we're getting a little bit of a bounce there as well. And like I said, I think that's all just kind of spilling over into the corn market as we can at least kind of push back through the 440 level. John, with the current wheat situation, what is the worldwide price situation and how the United States is competing in that arena right now. You know, that's still an area that we're going to struggle in at this time frame. You know, everyone looks at the cheaper levels of wheat and where things are in terms of the Russian or the Black Sea wheat or what's coming out of Europe compared to the U.S. prices. But we've actually picked up a little bit more interest maybe on the demand front because some of the issues on the transportation side out there, you know, as long as we continue to have issues in the Red Sea or the Suez Canal, Thank you to Mark and John for that grain analysis. Taking a look at some of the latest livestock news for cattle, USDA had sales from $173 to $177 for the week, with the bulk of action near $175. The OKC Feeder Auction Review recorded 10 k heads sold, with prices up by $10 to $15 for calves. Listings included 44% steers, 53% heifers, and 32% greater than 600 pounds. The CME Feeder Cattle Index for the 26th was $234.15, up by another $2.09. The USDA quoted box beef prices as $1.11 weaker for choice at $2.99.42, while select was $0.31 cents lower to $2.88.82. USDA reported FI cattle slaughter at 125,000 head for Monday, compared to 115 head last week and 120 k during the same week last year. And looking at the lean hog markets, uh, the USDA's national average base hog price was withheld for confidentiality reasons on Monday after being quoted $1.64 higher at $56.27 for Friday afternoon. The CME Lean Hog Index for the 25th was $69.90, which was up by $0.23. Cents. USDA's national pork carcass cutout value was $0.44 cents weaker to $89.07. The USDA reported the Monday hog slaughter at 490,000 head, up by 7,000 from last week, and by 16,000 head from the same Monday last year. That's been a check of the latest in the livestock news. Mark Magnuson will be back next for a check on the midday market prices. The Iowa CCA program is valuable to me because it helps keep me informed on new topics and research around the industry, including soils, insects, diseases, and much more. 
It's also a great way to network with others around the state and beyond. Iowa is known for its crops, and that's why we're here. To learn more about becoming a certified crop advisor, visit iowacca.org. At midday, March corn is up five and a half at 445 and three quarters. March soybeans up 15 even at 12.09 and a quarter. On the Merck, February live cattle up 17 cents at 177.55. March feeder cattle up $2.12 at 240.75. February lean hogs up 67 cents at 75.95. That was a check of the midday markets on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. dive back into the markets here shall we and focus on livestock this time around here on iowa ag matters mark magnuson resuming the conversation right now with joe camp from comstock joined today by joe camp of comstock for our opening market discussion joe what are we seeing taking place in the grains well still a lot of focus on south america and of course particularly brazil has been top of mind as of late they suffered major drought at the start of the season here about a month ago, starting to receive some showers, but now getting into the thick of the soybean harvest and uh, seeing that first crop uh, corn is also moving along. Eventually, we're going to have a lot of stock on how the second safrina crop looks, but you know, improved conditions as of late, still some reckoning, if you will, in terms of the estimates. That'll be a subject for next week, our February crop report coming up to be uh, very much one that has special attention paid to the South American estimates. But it's not just Brazil. Argentina's been in the mix here uh, more and more lately. Early last week, it was a a friendly influence for the market and still uh, can be observed as a a source of support for meal, which is up overnight here, uh, where we see some drier, hotter conditions prevailing across Argentina. Uh, They do have some rain in the mix for maybe 10 to 14 days out, but that's subject to change, too, when you start to uh, look that far ahead. Ultimately, it's a really crucial period of production for Argentina right now, whereas Brazil is getting into their harvest, uh, Argentina further south from the equator. They're not going to be until you know maybe mid to late March where harvest really picks up. And so you know that would be something that's akin to maybe the Midwest August type time frame for uh, these corn and soybean crops down there. So we're watching that weather storyline really closely for South America. Also Argentina in the news, though, a negative for wheat that it was announced that China has approved uh, wheat imports from that country. So something that could potentially be a further source of lost market share for U.S. exporters. Joe, is it still the case that Argentina looking at a gangbusters crop and just an overall great year? Generally, yeah, certainly compared to last year, we're looking at corn and soybean production levels that are as much as double uh, what they achieved last year because of the severe drought. So, uh, you know, the question is, though, whether or not we've priced in this favorable rebound for conditions in Argentina and if there could still possibly be now a reverse in terms of just taking the top end off. Can we move a little bit lower on some of these estimates going forward if the dry weather persists? That's that's definitely a risk point. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2024 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast as winter weather can change in the blink of an eye and vary greatly between regions. And be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. 
You can always check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone or downloading the 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Well, we're going to continue the focus on renewable fuels, obviously, and the potential market that is sustainable aviation fuel. There's a plant now that's open. It's in Georgia. There's a lot of talk about how we take that next step. And, of course, Monty Shaw has a few thoughts on that. He'll share with Dustin Hoffman straight ahead on your authentic, official, and trusted voice of Iowa agriculture. Well, the opening of the first sustainable aviation fuel facility in uh, Georgia last week has certainly generated a lot of conversation. One of those in attendance was Iowa's very own Monty Shaw, good Iowa Ag Matters Advocate Executive Director, Iowa Renewable Fuels Association, as he joins Dustin Hoffman to talk more about not only the grand opening, but the potential uh, demand that sustainable aviation fuel provides Iowa farmers. Monty, it's been a busy couple of weeks. You guys had your Iowa Renewable Fuel Summit. Uh, of course, that was a good success as always. And of course, we are still talking about the future of the biofuels in, in the in the uh, grand scheme of things. And of course, the big topic I know at the event was the sustainable aviation fuel uh, situation. And you had a chance to go down to the plant in Georgia where they're doing that and, and see what's going on there firsthand. Tell us a bit about that experience. Yeah, it was kind of mixed emotions. Um, I was very nice of LanzaJet to invite me down there to see literally the world's first commercial scale facility that's going to convert ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel. Um, it, it's a beautiful facility, you know, obviously brand new. They're just, you know, flipping the switch to start it up. And so, you know, the, the message there is, you know, sustainable aviation fuel or what we, we call it SAF for short, SAF for short. Um, it's here. It's now. It's happening. Um, and that is exciting because as it grows out, it has the potential, if we don't screw it up, it has the potential to be the largest new market agriculture seen probably ever. Now, the trick, though, why I said mixed emotions is right now today, while, while corn ethanol in the United States is obviously low carbon compared to petroleum fuels, um, it's not low carbon enough to qualify as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel. And so um, now with that plant running, uh, there's one plant in the United States that can, can, can do that. They're sequestering their carbon in North Dakota. Um, the rest of these plants, we need to do things to lower the carbon score even further. And the easy way to do that, the cost-effective way to do that is carbon capture and sequestration. So we're, we're kind of missing out on this new market until we get our house in order. Until, you know, like in Iowa, we don't have any plants that are sequestering carbon. So we don't have ethanol that qualifies as feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel. So, you know, we're missing out on this large new market until we get our house in order. And, you know, you bring up the carbon sequestration. I know the pipelines are proposed, but there's been some setbacks. There's been, we're really not seeing them really moving forward that much. You know, a year ago, Monty, I was in Brazil and I had the chance to see them, their ethanol plants. They're sequestering right below the the property or the, the land where they're doing this. I mean, is that an option or is it because of the geological setup that we need these pipelines to get it to where it needs to go? Yeah, for the vast majority of plants in the United States and in Iowa, simply uh, sequestering it below the plant is not an option. It takes a certain type of geology, 
where you can drill down under the water table. Obviously, we want to keep the water safe. You've got to go, you got to have a, a rock formation that is porous that you can put the CO2 into, but it's got to be a capstone layer above it so it doesn't then come back out because that's not sequestering it. So there's some really unique uh, geology that it takes. There might be a few spots in Iowa where we can do that, but there's no reason that for us right now to believe that we can do that at the vast majority of our plants. So we really do need to be able to put it in a pipeline and send it to places like North Dakota, Illinois, some other places where those formations are well-known, well-developed, and ready to go. Um, so our point here is, I mean, we're looking at a, at a new market that could chew up so you know another five or six billion gallons of corn, billion bushels of corn, excuse me. And, and I mean, that would require us to build um, probably 60 or more new, new ethanol plants, 11 here in Iowa. Then you have to build the facilities that turn that ethanol into sustainable aviation fuel, I mean, we're talking about billions of dollars of farm income. We're talking about tens of thousands of jobs, you know, huge boost to the GDP. Um, the sustainable aviation market is so big, it will take all the ethanol to jet that we can produce, and it will still have to go and find more expensive options for them to satisfy the demand. Welcome to January and the beginning of the new year. While we don't know for sure what 2024 will bring, we always need to do our best to be prepared. The same holds true when you're traveling in winter conditions. Make sure you're always aware of the weather forecast. Winter weather can change in the blink of an eye or very greatly between different regions. Be certain of what conditions you may face throughout your route. Always allow yourself extra time and drive according to conditions. Remember, four-wheel drive does not mean four-wheel stop. Loss of traction can easily incur in icing conditions, and four-wheel drive won't be able to save you at that point. Be prepared for emergencies by always keeping a winter survival kit with blankets, first aid supplies, sand or litter, a shovel and a light source, and some non-perishable food in the back of your vehicle. Be cautious when you're driving this winter. If you're not comfortable, stay home or get a ride. You can also check conditions across the state by calling 511 on your phone. Or you can also download the Iowa 511 app. This message on winter driving safety is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Well, time flies when you're having fun, no doubt about that. And we are uh, off in many different directions, as Riley set it up to a pivot bio. Mark and I have the Farm Forward event and uh, the Iowa Ag Expo. So we'll bring it all to you here in the coming days. Thanks to Riley. Thanks to Mark. Dustin returns tomorrow. Thanks to you for being here. And see you later on Iowa Ag Matters. <laughs>